0: All right, welcome everybody. Today we're going to take a page right out of the playbook of the Fighter Pilot Podcast. This is episode 15. So today, compare and contrast the goods and the others F 14 versus the F 15C Eagle. On the flight deck, crews are now manning for the next launch. It's time to clear the flight deck and catwalks, stand well clear of all jet flaps, prop arcs, and exhaust. It's time to start up the GO aircraft. Let's start them up. Hey, I'm Craig Snyder, Call Sign Crunch. I was an F-14 pilot and a Top Gun instructor, and I'm one of your hosts for the F-14 TomCast. Now, as you probably know, the F-14 was designed in the late 1960s. First flew 1970, entered squadron service in 1974. And it was designed as the replacement for the legendary F-4 Phantom. And it incorporated some impressive new technology and aeronautical design, things that we've talked about in previous episodes. Now, around the same time, of course, the U.S. Air Force was also defining its own aircraft to replace its Phantoms. And the result was the F-15 Eagle. Now, some might deny it. I don't know who. But a rivalry was born.
1: And I'm Dave Baranek, call sign bio. I was an F-14 Rio and Top Gun instructor, and I'm your other host for the F-14 TomCast. Now, Crunch mentioned a rivalry, and of course there's an element of that whenever you discuss the F-15 and the F-14. But rather than pick that apart, we've invited a former fighter pilot that has experience in both aircraft. Our guest today is retired Air Force Colonel Doug Norton Carney, who is an experienced F-15C pilot when he took an exchange tour and flew F-14As for a few years. I met Norton in 1996 when he served in VF-211 when I was the XO and CO. And when Crunch and I were planning episodes, I thought Norton would be perfect to address this topic, the F-15 and the F-14 comparison. So Norton, welcome to the F-14 TomCast.
2: Thanks, really glad to be here.
1: Let's start like we do with uh, all of our guests. Boy, that was high-pitched, huh? Let's start. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start like we do with all of our guests. (laughs) Norton, tell us where you're from, how you got commissioned, how you got into the Air Force, and how did you get
2: into F-15s? Sure. So uh, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, attended the Ohio State University, got a commission through ROTC. Uh, shortly after graduating, I went off and joined the Air Force and uh, started out actually as in navigator training out at Mather Air Force Base. Uh, spent some time in the back seat in RF fours. Um, got my wings fixed, as uh, some people like to say. Uh, became a pilot, and uh, <laughs> my first assignment out of pilot training was the F-15. Awesome. So how
1: oh how long was uh, pilot training? Tell us how long was. Air Force so pilot was, training, just
2: about exactly one year in uh, lovely Phoenix, Arizona. A great place to learn how to fly jets.
1: Okay, so one year—that's uh, probably a little bit less than uh, Navy pilot training. Uh, anyway, all right, interesting. So now, now your experience and your background is very different than any guests that we've had on so far. But hopefully, we'll find some uh, common ground, some some uh, you know equivalencies. So tell us which yeah. F-15 squadrons you were in in your career, and then, uh, and which F-15s you flew?
2: Sure. So I started out at Eglin Air Force Base uh, in the 60th Fighter Squadron uh, down in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. At the time, they had some of the newest F-15s that the Air Force had. They were built in the uh, early 1980s. And that's, that. Were, those were the last F-15Cs that the Air Force bought. And what year were you there? I was there from the very end of 1990, Till the summer of '96. All right. Six years. Yeah. After after coming back to the Air Force after the Navy Exchange tour, uh, I went to Mountain Home, Idaho. Flew with a 390th Fighter Squadron that had the uh, the the one squadron that had the full up data data link pod or data link capability that most of the F-15s at the time didn't have yet. Um, after some more staff time. Uh, my final assignment was at Kadena Air Base in Japan as a deputy ops group commander and retired out of there. Okay, so uh, so Crunch, when Norton
1: and I were talking about this, he equated to deputy ops group commander. And Norton, you said that's like a DCAG in the Navy.
2: Similar to a DCAG. And in that particular base, it was very similar because we had a composite wing. We had two squadrons of F-15s, AWACS, tankers, rescue helicopters. So it was a diverse group of airplanes. Most air force wings didn't operate like that interesting
1: okay so how many uh how many flight hours of the f fifteen did you have by the end of your career a little over nineteen hundred all right and they're all c models right not the not the e or c and d
2: yes c's, c's and d's and then some a's and b's in uh in r t u or the equivalent of rag but but the vast majority cs and d's okay
1: all air to air
2: so yes. Not a pound for air to ground was there for the
1: motto. <laughs> well, you know, we we've covered that territory because uh, you know F fourteen guys were like that for for a while. So, um, so how did you get into uh, Tomcats? Did you request an exchange tour? Did you piss off your detailer, or <laughs> uh, did you request any Navy jet, or did you request Tomcats?
2: Uh, Good question. So at the time, the Air Force had a fairly unique assignment system. They called it the Burger King assignment system, which if you didn't like what they were trying to offer you, you didn't have to take it. And so the idea was they would uh, somehow enhance the, the jobs that nobody wanted with some kind of sweeteners, like give you a choice follow on or things of that nature. Um, One of the flaws in that system was that they they had to find spots for the guys that were coming back from overseas in Europe and and Pacific, and they would soak up all all the good assignments. And then, you know, it'd be staff job to Korea or joint staff or something like that, that nobody wanted to do. So you could get stuck at a place for a while. So I was at Eglin for about five and a half years. And as fun as flying Eagles was, uh, five and a half years of doing the same thing, flying out over the water um, of Northwest Florida, got a little tedious. Um, funny story was the, this assignment had come the exchange assignment for the F-14 had come around, uh, about a year before. Um, and I talked to my wife about it and she's like, "Yeah, I don't think so. Um, around that time we had a, we had a, um, a guy that had done an exchange tour, a guy named Spike Patch. I don't know if you probably didn't, he was probably before your time, but he was, um, one of the ops officers in one of the squadrons and I talked to him about it and it sounded pretty cool for, for whatever reason, the assignment came back about a year later. And I said, I want to do that and talk to my wife and she goes, sure. You know, given the experience of all the the things that didn't work out with the assignment system and she never figured it it would come through. And sure enough it did. So we were <laughs> on our way to NAS Oceana. So did, she knew about Virginia beach or I mean,
1: she, anyway, Whatever. She signed up for it and you guys went. So there you are.
2: Yeah. She was a little intimidated. She was worried that the Navy wives were going to, you know, treat her like an outsider or an outcast. And it couldn't have been further from the truth. They were, you know, great,
0: treated us really well.
1: Awesome. Glad to hear it.
0: Yeah. So talk talk about that so obviously you know we're talking about like the orders process and you get up to you know you get the wife on board moving to Virginia Beach which actually sounds pretty good to me you know I live here right <laughs> uh but you know you get up here there had to have been I mean it, it, how long were your orders to you, you had to have gone through the rag at VF101 and then to VF211 how long was that time at the rag for you
2: It was about uh, Ten months, I, I want to say. I think I started in June and graduated in April. I did the full, the full rag, um, and uh, they gave me bonus FCLPs, um, the carrier landing practice at the outlying field, because um, I had never been to the boat before. Yeah, and uh, so they they needed to kind of boost that the number of touch and goes that I got.
0: Right. Because everybody else who's like, you went through a cat one syllabus, as we call it, I'm, I'm sure, which is the same thing any brand new Navy pilot goes through. But those same guys who are going through a cat one syllabus have already been to the boat, have already gotten 10 traps at the ship solo in the daytime. So they've already gotten a lot of that ship experience that you just don't have. Yeah. You're used to flaring to land on a 10,000 foot runway and saying, oh my God, yep. I might not stop. Or <laughs> we're like 800 feet yeah. too much. <laughs> well yep. So that must have been re- pretty interesting. You show up at the at at the rag and they throw you in a cat one class with all these brand new pilots who have a, about 150 200 hours in turboprops and and light jets and things like that. You're equivalent to a T38, you know, A4s and T2s. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're pretty experienced at this point. I mean, you've got probably 15,000 15, hours in the F15.
2: about a thousand hours. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you're a pretty experienced fighter guy at this point showing up at the rag and they're like, okay, let's talk about the hydraulic system on this, this airplane that you've (laughs) never flown before. Right. How, how, how was the, how was the rag experience? It was, it was
2: interesting. Uh, you know the, the hydraulic system wasn't that big of a deal, but I remember the fuel system was this rude Goldberg machine of <laughs> of spinning valves and craziness that motive uh,
1: flow to, pumps and
2: <laughs> yeah. isolation yeah. valves. Oh yeah, the fuel system. Yeah, um, but it was it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, some of the things that were a little disconcerting was VF one hundred one was gigantic at the time, and they had I don't know how many jets were assigned, maybe maybe sixty of them. But the uh, the eerie thing was there were a handful of them that had the noses chopped off. I guess they needed to part out the radars. And they had just like a big thing of aluminum foil taped over the front of the jet. And there was just kind of parked there as a permanent bird. And it just was kind of disheartening to see good airplanes sitting out there like that. Okay. So so we'll probably get to that also.
1: But in the F-15 squadrons, you guys didn't have like, or especially like the RTU, you didn't have... Available parts, problems, and things like that.
2: We we did um, the only equivalent uh, thing, though, that had that kind of same visual impact was uh, about halfway through my tour at Eglin. They got behind on uh, at the depot um, doing the overhaul on the engines, and so we literally had a handful of airplanes sitting on the ramp that that had a hollow tube where an engine should have been, while they were uh, you know getting the cores redone. So yeah, but there were there were definitely times where they were they were canning uh, parts off of airplanes to to get get ones to fly, yep, so it was common practice one of the one of one of the my favorite stories about cannibalizing parts though was uh I don't know if you were complicit or even aware of this, but when uh one one of the trips out to the Nimitz uh while we were at North Island, some part broke, and uh, they actually pulled it out of the static display there.
0: That, that old wives <laughs>
2: tale. There's no way that's <laughs> <a night mission. laughs> true. It was kind of surprising that it was still in the airplane on the on a stick, but uh but yeah, no kidding. They pulled it out and got a jet flying.
0: Yeah. I've heard such <laughs> stories before.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, if it happened, two eleven might have been
1: the squadron that did it. So <laughs> yeah. We worked our way we worked our way out of a
2: hole. Let's just that'll come yeah, up. Right. Really?
1: Okay, so let's let's
2: couple of couple other things about the rag um so the uh another thing i had to learn was how to drop bombs which was something that i'd never done before um and you know they go old school and teach you how to tip in and roll in and all that stuff and drop free fall bombs uh so that was all new the flying low level was um something i'd done a million times in the rf4 in my past and then obviously the uh, graduation exercise cq was um was a big deal and and i have uh Incredible respect for the, and and I think the the Rios that would take guys out to the carrier um, deserve an amateur psychology degree uh, for for being able to pull that off with no flight controls to save themselves.
1: Rag instructor Rios. I was never one and I thought, man, that's, go ahead, Crunch. What were you going to say? I was going to
0: say, who who took you out to the boat? Who was your instructor, Rio? Dutch Halperin. Ah, gotcha. All right. The, so, yeah. yeah, I know Dutch. So, uh, so he, he got you, he, you got out there, reached up, gave you a little back rub as you're on downwind. You're well, doing great, man. You're looking it was good. It
2: was calibrated. He knew when to kind of, kind of, uh, you know, whip me a little bit, not too much. And then when it was, you know, when to just stay silent while I was bitching at myself or, you know, just kind of had a, a pass that was less than stellar, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, yeah, he, he really got a lot of credit for um,
0: getting me through that phase. And how many traps did you get on that first CQ? Uh,
2: 17. I think I ended up getting out of one or two because I had done enough to pass. And uh, so I uh, said, hey, put, get your stuff ready um, on the second night out there. Get your stuff ready. Throw it in the jet because we might just go to the beach after, uh, after you get one more. Like,
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> great. What ship did you call on? On the Stennis. The Stennis? Ah, and ah, actually, yeah.
2: uh actually I was the uh, fifteen thousandth trap on the Stennis. They made the announcement over the 1MC when I after I landed. Did you get a cake? Uh no. Oh, you
0: gotta get a cake. I can't believe that. I got I a cake I got cake on the, and now uh,
1: Air Force Major Doug Carney just made the uh yeah. yeah. So, Crunch, you got yep. a cake?
0: I did. I think I got like the 10,000th trap on the bush or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And uh, I I trapped got They're like, hey, come on down to, you know, resting gear engine room number three. I'm like, oh, what's there? I go (laughs) down and there's a cake and the captain and the XO. I'm like, hey, we get a cake. I was just out there for CQ. (laughs) I got a picture. I think I had a plaque. I don't know where it is though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome. So you had, so you, it sounds like a pretty good time. You learned quite a bit and,
1: uh, yeah, but let's stay with the reg. What was it like flying with the Rio after operating the don't, I mean, uh, I know you're going to get to that. If you got more CQs, go ahead and tell us.
2: Oh, sorry about Yeah. So, um, uh, it was, it was high stress. Um, and you know, I was, I didn't walk onto the ship. I flew out there and we had to go into holding at 15,000 feet and looking at the, the ship from 15,000 feet was not the, uh, the, the recipe for a happy first trap. But, um, I felt a lot of pressure. I didn't want to be the, you know, the air force guy that had, you know, had 10 bolters or wave offs on his first, but, uh, uh, miraculously enough, I trapped on the first
0: attempt. So that's impressive. Uh, That's impressive. So, you know, I I have to say, you know, I think back, you know, it flying to the ship was so much fun. It's very nerve wracking. Um, my, I remember, I will never forget my first day to the ship in the A4 and it was like, Oh my God, what a story. Um, (laughs) but at the same time, you know, when, when you're overhead and you hear the boss come up and he says, one-on-one Charlie, I would, I don't care how many traps I had, my heart would do a little boop boop because I knew it was game on. It's time to go. It was exciting, but it was game on. And it actually, just like you said, the more senior you got, the better you got at it, but more people were looking at you. So when you're a cat one and not doing so well, and if you grab the ace, it was okay. Nobody expected you to do any good. Right? But when you're the skipper, and you come down, if you catch anything other than the two on the fly or a three right into the three, they're like, ooh, Skipper almost bolted. <laughs> or, ooh, dang, Skipper, you paying attention up there? What's going on? And so, yeah, I tell you, you, you know, just like you were saying, as the F-15 guy coming aboard, they're like, oh, let's wait for the Air Force guy to mess it up. We're going to show you how much yeah. we are. I can imagine. Yeah. I can only imagine. So, yeah. so that's pretty cool. So not only do you have to do daytime, you did nighttime. Tell us about your first night trap.
2: Uh, I don't know if I remember it. I kind of vaguely remember a haze of the night ops, and and um, I remember you know more than one Rio told me you don't want to spend more than you know one second more than you have to up on the flight deck during during uh, CQ, and, and it's freaking crazy. No lights on, jets that are turning. It's um, it's just yeah, kind of a very uncomfortable <laughs> scenario, uh, but. But you know they obviously know what they're doing and, and run the show extremely well to to pull that off. You know the 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 thing that was most disconcerting was you they're taking off and landing essentially at the same time, which is very different than the you know while you're on cruise and doing the cyclic, cyclic ops. Um, so yeah, go up, man up in the jet, do a couple of traps, and then get get back down and. And uh, get a burger and watch the rest of the show for the night. <laughs>
0: that's about right. Yeah. So, and in, in, in the other thing I was thinking about that's a little bit different that you had to do in the rag was uh, tanking. So, <laughs> right? So, in, in the, the Eagle. Good. You know, it, it, well, it, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm sitting here thinking about going, you know, when you're in the Eagle, you just, you fly for him or you're on the, whether it's a 135 KC10, you're just flying off the the lights or the little symbols and you just stay in a position and the little guy up there flies it in with the fins, right? Or however he does yeah. it. I don't know. And yep. he just, yeah, exactly. and he, he puts it in there and he locks it into place. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is once that probe sticks into your airplane, it almost kind of locks it. Right. And you just kind of keep yourself sort of uh, in place. Is that right?
2: Not not, not quite. There's like some some knuckles that kind of come over and hold it in. But you're you know that the probe is moving in and out as you're as you're flying it. Yeah, um, it's there was a very difference between the KC-10, which which they had more control authority. And if your airplane wasn't where where it was supposed to be, left or right in particular, they could they could actually move you. The 135 had had less of that. Um, And the up up and down was completely at the control of the the pilot, the receiving pilot. Yeah, Um, And their job was, their number one job was to make sure you didn't get too close before they disengaged and told you to break away because that could cause a lot of damage.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And you compare that to the Navy where in the Navy we have every airplane has a probe sticking out. Cause we do all that organic tanking and we don't have, you know, if you're tanking off of an S three KA six, or now we have the super hornets, you know, you don't have a, a boom operator and these big giant airplanes. We've got just a a, a, yeah. a, a drop tank with a, a basket on it. And so we have little probes. i if you're listening, you don't get to experience this, but everybody on YouTube, my little finger goes up. There's my, my probe on my airplane. And you go pop it into a, into that basket. And that's a challenge. I know me myself, I have fenced with a 135 basket more than once and taken a little bit of damage, you know, on the (laughs) airplane from that darn basket. That thing is huge and it's heavy. What would, I'm sure you tanked off the 135. what do you think about that when you're compared, comparing tanking the Navy way versus the Air Force way?
2: It was, it was different. Getting hooked up, uh, especially on, on, on like the 135, uh, was easier because the basket is gigantic and you can see it. Um, I I should, I should caveat that once you sort of got the, got the hang of it, the uh, one of the, one of the tanking was one of those things where you had to learn to do non instinctive flying again, like landing um, where your instinct was if the, if the, if you need to move your probe over to the right a little bit, you use the stick and you roll over. But the problem is where the probe is, that's just going to rotate it down. And it's gonna move it out of the way of the basket. And so you had to learn to steer with your feet and just kinda of yaw the nose over and drive it in. Uh but but generally driving it into the Iron Maiden uh coming off the back of the 135 was was um relatively easy the first phase getting getting connected. But the problem was you had to drive forward enough to to turn the knuckle and to get the fuel to flow and, and that um especially early on was um was uh, took a little finesse and uh like you mentioned damage i uh, on one of the uh um deployments to the west coast i i think i was the last one to tank and and i don't remember exactly what or i was but i i just couldn't maintain you know the right position and kind of drop low to the point where it kind of yanked the ball out of my probe and so when i went to try and hook back up just fuel was spraying everywhere and and uh so we had to divert to Fort Worth for uh, gas go.
0: It happens. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh it yeah. happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember my first uh, my my first time tanking off the KC one thirty five, and I'm I'll never forget this because I was I was briefing there, and Bio stop me if I've told this story before, but I'm brief. We're we're getting ready to go, and my my flight lead is uh, Trigger Kelly and Pink Floyd, right? And they both become admirals right later but they're there that pink is the skipper he's the rio and triggers uh the maintenance officer he's he's the skipper's pilot right and we spend the entire brief talking about how we're going to get crunch you know six plugs on the kc-135 to get qualified <laughs> and he talks all about what you were just talking about and how to do it and flying the knuckle and all that other stuff and then pink says the most wise words i've ever heard he goes hey new guy don't fuck it up <laughs> <laughs> and, and i i proceeded to fuck it up <laughs> and we went out and and as i'm driving in i lip that 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 basket and then once you realize you missed it because you're like i'm in i'm in oh i missed and by then you go to idle to try and stop and then you go to full blower and you're like oh the engines aren't responding fast enough and you lip it and then just as you're backing out you're almost out of it and then it goes too far forward it kept in it and you go forward of it, and the the basket comes flipping back, and it takes off the probe door, <laughs> which – and, of course, that's forward to the engine. You're like, ah, hope you don't blow off the engine. <laughs> yeah, That was my yeah. – that was day two in the fleet for me. You yeah. <laughs> They like me so far.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wasn't sure how it was going to go because during – the ref- whole refueling thing, because during the rag, when we do go up for our – uh our fam mission with that. They had an S3, I think. Yeah. And, you know, the basket on those things are not, not huge by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, Hey, Norton's the guy who's been around here for a while. Um, we'll make him last. Well, as you can imagine with, uh, you know, five or six nuggets going before me, the basket looked like a peanut by the time I got to plug in. And, and so a basket that should be this big was had two things about that big that I had to end up getting it in and,
0: <laughs> it, it's a challenge. It's, you're right It, because that thing will deform. And they'll, they'll cycle it in and out. You're like, no, it's still deformed, <laughs> and you try to get <laughs> yeah. in. But at the same yeah. time, it's, a, it's more forgiving than the 135 because it's just a soft basket. Yeah, yeah. it's nice.
2: Yeah. That, nothing beats the kc10 both uh the the boom and the
0: basket love it oh yeah
2: either, either way <laughs> well
0: i you know you say that i've, I've i another story <laughs> i remember being up on the martina track just north of uh of uh uh mosul in afghanistan or, or, or iraq rather one time and uh my wingman he's out there and and he goes to plug and and he goes in and it and it in the the KC 10, he hits it, goes in, and he doesn't get the light. So he backs out, hits it with just a little bit more energy to try and, you know, like, let's get this thing going. And I guess it was enough. He said it didn't, it didn't go, you know, he didn't hit it any harder, but whatever the case, take up real didn't work. He hit it harder. I don't know. Sine wave wound up, came back, pops the, whole, it takes the whole probe off, right? Um, and it ends up going down the motor. I see this big oh. flame. I'm on the goggles. I see, this big giant flame going back i'm like oh my god that was awful <laughs> and the coolest thing i've ever seen all at one time <laughs> and uh, and we're like hey man how's how's your motor he's like ah, it's not so good <laughs> we're, we're diverting we're going into uh al-assad so we, he goes and diverts into al-assad we're halfway down there we're like hey man how's that motor oh i shut that down like Fifty miles ago, I'm like, oh, okay, so your single engine, got it. So you know, and he he ends up diverting in there, and we had to get him a new motor, a new probe. I oh, uh, had to get him a new tail fin <laughs> from from Oceana. We had to fly. It had like the Grim Reaper on it when it came out to the oh. ship, <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and they ended up spending like two weeks in Alasada with that broken jet, missed out on. Them the port call in, no. in Dubai. No. So we should have
1: um, just made that
0: jet gate guard at, at Al-Assad. Yeah, say, No Kenny, okay. We could have yeah. like, Hey, let's just get him a, uh, some concrete and a stick and put it on there. Shall we? You know, <laughs> but that was a KC 10, you know, it, it's 10. It, yeah. I loved tanking off the KC 10 until I didn't. Right. And that was a case where it was like, Hey, it was great until it wasn't. So, mm. Yeah. But funny, funny story. It right. was nice to have
2: all the options. I, I think I refueled off of KC 130s, KC 10s, KC 135s, S3s, and even a Nimrod once or twice. It was uh, impressive the number of jets you could oh, do. Oh, we, um,
1: we had VC 10s out
0: there. Um, That's right, with the uh, two wing pods, right? Yeah. Yeah. Had the wing yeah. Pods out engines,
1: there that- two engines on the back. Oh, I meant, but it had engines in the back of the fuselage. Yeah, but the. Uh, the refueling problems were out on the wings yeah
0: yeah yeah and they'd be out there and you'd be trying to tank in it but your your one of your wings was like underneath the jet exhaust on that wing and oh. so it would spoil <laughs> the lift on that yeah. side and so you're trying to tank and meanwhile one one wing has like half the lift of the other one so you're you're trying to put this this right right stick in and some some left rudder to point it in the right direction and you're like you're you're like I'm. I, I don't know how to get my shoulder in there. <laughs> it was so hard sometimes. Great, and, then you, and so then you so then you remember this that you would take your wings and you would sweep your wings back to try and because what it would do is it would force you to increase but your ankle Norton, attack. So did they, your- t-
1: did they tell you that in the rag, Norton, when you came through? Put the wings back at like forty five or whatever. That was no, that was no was First time to. I've ever
0: heard it. Yeah, oh, you tank. never did that? Oh, yeah. if, if you were ever like tanking and you're, you're getting your lot of having some trouble with that, like spoiled air, you could just sweep your wings back and you would like sit back in a recliner almost yeah. and it would allow <laughs> you to have a little more control. It was obviously oh. less responsive, but uh yeah. it worked. Didn't, nice. Couldn't do that in the F-15 now, could you? No, no, no. No sweeping. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, so cool. So we just talked about the RAG experience. Bio, you were- No, no, uh, no.
1: We didn't talk about the RAG experience. You got to talk about when you started flying with a Rio for the first time. Oh, And doing, operating the weapon system. Just, you know, give us a couple of bullets on that. Yeah, well, um, so- I mean, did you feel like this is the way it should be? Or did you feel like, oh, God, I got to get this guy to do what I want him to do? I mean, was it somewhere in between or what?
2: Well- I mean, from my background, I had been a Wizzo before, oh, yeah, so okay. right, I, right, right. You know, I appreciated a, a jet that required two people to, to operate it effectively. Um, so that really was not a stumbling block for me. And, and the other thing is, is the, uh, the F-14 was pretty clearly designed from the ground up to operate with, with two crew members. Uh, whereas like in the, m- most of the Air Force airplanes, you can operate just about all the systems from the front. Uh, But in the F-14, it was not going to work if you didn't have that uh, guy in the backseat. So when you're running
1: intercepts, did you find yourself, you know, saying, come on, dude, you know, give me a picture or switch modes or do, or or were you just, were they, I guess, rag instructor Rios were pretty good. So,
2: yeah. And, you know, we didn't do anything exotic. You know, I, I sort of, you know, when I, when I went there and we did, Sim after sim doing the uh, stern conversion intercept is like oh my god, (laughs) but you know it 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 it, you know it taught you some basic skills. But I you know I remember uh, we you know and we had to do some of those in the air. But I remember the one where we did the supersonic flight where you're going against a you know Mach one point two or one point three target and kind of got you know, to the, the front quarter off the, off the target's wing. And it said, all right, I got it. And cause just visually it was just, okay. I, I, I see this picture now I've seen this before I got it. Um, but, uh, it, you definitely, as you, um, worked with a, uh, a Rio over time, um, you would, you would really improve your teamwork and, and just like, you know, anything you do together with an, another person, you really kind of build your skills.
1: Yeah. Okay, so, Crunch, can we talk about just a basic – I mean, I want to talk about the basic comparing the airplanes. You know, so you've been flying F-15Cs for roughly 1,000 hours, and you get into F-14As. Did – I mean, it's an older airplane. It's got – what were you thinking? And then give us some – talk about, you know, control forces, responsiveness, uh, acceleration, things like that.
2: Yeah, so it was uh, a, a tough comparison. Like I said, I flew the the newest C model F-15s that the Air Force had at at Eglin with the uh, the two twenty engines, which uh, the Pratt and Whitney F-100 two twenty, which you could literally be at forty or forty five thousand feet and take the throttles and go like this all day long, and the and the digital controls would say, "Okay, I know what you're asking me for, but you can't quite have that right now, and I'll give you the best, you know, whatever without causing a compressor stall." uh the um the a model tomcat with the tf thirties not so much. Um but yeah so acceleration was was different, uh obviously a lot less. But um having said that, you know the the wing on the F fifteen was a hard wing and it they and it had uh what they called a conical camber. So the um the angle of attack out at the the outer edges was less than the, the than near the fuselage so that um do I have that right? Yeah. So that you could maintain control as you're, as you get into a stall, the, the wingtips would be at a, a lower angle of attack so that you could still have, you know, you wouldn't be in separated airflow. Oh, that's time. a
1: great explanation mm-hmm. of that. I've seen that, but uh, okay. Thanks.
2: Yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh, but the, the consequence is, is that it, you know, makes for a really big frontal impact into the air as you're going through it. And so when you get close to supersonic and above, you know, there's a lot of drag, in you know in contrast the f14 with the sweep wings you know once you got to point nine or through the mock, it, it performed pretty well
0: yeah it would almost it would almost go start accelerating faster once you got up yeah. to the number when you like once was, you got through that transonic so it was pretty normal. so i didn't realize that so the f15 was had difficult would you you wouldn't say it had difficulty breaking the number didn't I mean, no, 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 no. Yeah, no. okay. No, you but it's so much but, thrust. Yeah, well, yeah. true. I mean, you put enough thrust on a Coke can, it's going to fly, yeah. right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bio,
2: you'd asked about control forces. Uh, the the F fourteen definitely was felt heavier to fly. Well,
1: okay. So I'll give you some background on this. When I was a JO, and this is one of the things in my career that I wish I had either made a copy or whatever. But this was back in the eighties. Somebody circulated a report in our squadron. And it compared certain features of the F-14 and the F-15. And one of them was the specification for control forces. And the Navy spec uh, pilot, the pounds per G, the Navy spec was like twice as high as the Air Force, something like that. So it makes the airplane feel much heavier.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: Did you feel that? I mean, you. It it felt like it. And, and, you know, when you think about it, it's you're right it's it's just that what the engineers program into it because yeah. it's you're yeah. flying through the hydraulics so it's not real real feel but yeah it, it felt uh especially kind of at lower airspeed you had to really put a lot of uh stick force in to to control the airplane the one thing i um i did find that was really impressive maneuverability wise and the tomcat was rudder authority at low air, low airspeed uh there was one Trick that they would teach you in the BFM phase, where you'd kind of get your nose high, and then you'd kick in full rudder and and pivot the nose around, and, and that was pretty eye watering, um, you know, to kind of reverse on a guy if if you got in a situation where, of course, you didn't want to actually have be out in front of a guy up high very often, but if you found yourself there, you know, the the rudder authority at relatively low airspeed was was pretty impressive
1: how about pitch was pitch rate similar or did Tomcat have because I mean I remember from my early days also they said one of the tomcat strengths was pitch because the big horizontal stabs
2: yeah I don't I don't remember I don't remember uh yeah I don't remember that being a a deficiency or, or uh, the one the one difference though is um you could you could get your AOA high enough in the tomcat where you could stall, stall out the stabs. Where you could feel like you're you're you have the stick back far enough where the stabs just are stalling out and so you're not getting any any authority out of them and that that was something that you couldn't do in the f fifteen or at least I never did um you, you know you just would would kind of mush out, but you you always had whatever the airflow would would give you on the the stabs
1: and the f fifteen wasn't fly by wire was it
2: no it uh it was um you know like like any fighter of that era, it had a uh, stability augmentation thing on top of the hydraulic system, and then it had kind of like a an, an electronic finesse thing the uh r t u instructors or the the training unit instructors called it the Cadillac um, and really what it was is the the top of the stick had a transducer in it, and you could you know literally cause minor movements in the flight controls with without the stick itself moving but just little movements in that um Oh, uh, that actuator on the top—that's so, pretty cool. So that—that that was, you know, for real fine maneuvering, like refueling or you know close formation, those kinds of things could really get precise.
0: I did not know that. I'd never heard that before.
2: Of course, when you're, when you're squeezing, squeezing the trim button off the stick when you're trying to refuel at night and uh, no horizon, yeah. then you know, that w- could work against you too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm just thinking like yeah i i've i've tried to squeeze the black out of the stick more than once on a on a tanker before so yeah i know exactly <clears throat> what you're talking about let's well, okay so that's interesting i never knew that about the little transducer in the stick yeah. um now that said so bio you mentioned something about uh pitch authority i i do know this that the or from what i had heard i've never flown the f-15 right but i've flown the f-18 And my understanding is the F-18 and the F-15 control forces, uh, you know, stick forces felt similar. I don't know if anybody else had, you guys heard that before. So it was very, it was, it felt a little bit similar to an F-18 as, um, I'm sorry, the F-15, the F-18. I had also, you know, the F-14 max AOA uh, 35 units. It was really about 25 degrees angle of attack is really about what the math is. If you look it up, I believe the F-15 could go higher, is that right?
2: Yeah, I don't remember what the numbers numbers were. Uh yeah. but yeah, I I feel like from flying at max AOA it was it was a little bit higher. Yeah.
0: And by comparison, an F-18 was going routinely 35, and with the advanced, you know, the new flight controls, I think it was going into the forties or something like that. It's something yeah silly, ridiculous. Uh, obviously there's a lot more drag <laughs> in, in the airplane yeah. is differently, but, uh, yeah. Well, cool. Awesome. Uh, how about roll rate? How'd roll rate compare? You guys had ailerons, we had spoilers and differential stab. Yeah. Uh,
2: the, the roll rate was pretty good. I mean, I never, uh, um, unless you got slow and, and then it would kind of wallow, uh, trying to roll. Um, but You're talking, yeah, 14 would wallow. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the F-15, uh, until you got really slow, was pretty good at, at roll. Um, it had uh, – and part of that was because the flight control system, when you put in ailerons at low speed and high AOA, it would actually kind of wash out the ailerons and, and use rudder to help get you to to roll. Mm-hmm. The flight control system did that? Yeah. Oh, that's
1: nice.
0: Yeah. yeah that is nice. So not so much in the Tomcat, but <laughs> – yeah that's cool we just had to we just had to start jamming on the rudders i mean kind of like that rudder reversal you talked about i remember that uh, yeah one of the things you would do is you get that aoa real high you get real slow and then you would you know you might put in a little stick to get things moving but then you would neutralize and kick rudder because otherwise those spoilers would kick up and it'd create all sorts of drag in the wrong direction and things Mm -hmm. we we completely had to fly rudders when we needed rudders and the f-15 just told you here's what you need
2: well, and yeah, like, I mean, you still would you would still get more of what you wanted uh, if you flew with your feet too. Um, oh, you know, would only really do so much. But uh, but the F four guys, you know, that were still around would would preach that big time. To, yeah. You know, don't forget to use your feet when you're
0: rolling and turning. Oh, uh, that's a good point. All right, well, cool, excellent squadron environment. That's right. Well, yeah, well, that's a that's a nice right. little segue. Let's talk about the difference between the squadron environments. So, so you. So you ahead,
1: so this is something Crunch and I talked about, uh, Norton uh, when we were, you know, getting ready for this. So you you leave the rag, you walk over to VF two eleven. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh.
2: Well, yeah, that's another slightly funny story. So um, you know, one of my one of my fears was I didn't want to get uh in, in a cycle where they put me in a squadron that had just come back from cruise and I lived there for a few years and do workups and then my time to go back to the air force comes up and I never got to do a a full cruise. So, um, in my dream sheet, I said, you know, I want to go into a squadron that's going on cruise fairly soon. Um, and, uh, so no kidding, three days after I finished my CQ on the Stennis, I'm, I'm headed out to San Diego and find myself, uh, out in uh, the SoCal Southern California off the coast there, uh, trolling around on the Nimitz with fog so thick they got to blow the fog horn so we don't crash into another boat. And we're flick freaking flying jets. And I'm like, Oh my God, what have
0: I done? <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the
2: Navy. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm excited. <laughs> just thinking about it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what yeah, we and do. In, and
2: in fact, you know, guys are, guys are coming in or, you know, people are coming in, uh, so close they can't see the ball at three quarters of a mile and, uh, and paddles are saying continue. And I'm like, wow, this is just amazing. <laughs> okay. But,
1: but what about the, uh, the, the hangar, you know, squadron spaces, uh, um, so, so, yeah, so got moved into a hangar at Oceana and the, and the hangar at Oceana was very similar to what we had at Miramar. It was, it was old. It was probably built in the, uh, early 50. I mean, in the, early sixties or, you know, whatever, no air conditioning, pretty, uh, I mean, it was adequate, you know, we had chairs and desks and stuff, but it certainly was, uh, was, was
2: just barely a lot, a lot lot more utilitarian for sure. Yeah. Um, and being, you know, I, I, there could be some advantages. Uh, so the, the way the Navy was organized, um, you know, the, the maintenance was part of the squadron. And for the most of the time I was in the Air Force, there was a separate maintenance squadron and the, the fighter squadron. For a time, they, they had them combined, but but that only lasted a number of years. But, um, you know, when if you are a combined organization like that, being in the same physical building, uh, I think has got to be a benefit because it just it doesn't you don't have to physically relocate if you're the captain, you know, the squadron commander or the CO to go see your maintenance yeah team. yeah um the uh couple other differences is you know we had um i would say generally nicer facilities in the, in for air force squadrons you know we had uh offices um and we usually had a vault that was pretty nice main briefing room um and then invariably we had a bar that Somewhere along the way, we had to call a heritage room. I don't know why, but I guess bar- saying it was bar was uncool, but it had a keg or refrigerated with a bunch of beers or both. And, um, and also invariably, uh, Jeremiah Weed in the freezer, uh, oh. the, the, the liquor of punishment um, on Friday nights. Um, amazing.
1: I mean, I, I as a JO when I first heard the Air Force squadrons had bars, I was going, "No, oh, that would never work in the Navy because <laughs> because <laughs> we'd be restocking it like every two days." You know, up
2: we're out again. Yeah,
1: uh, uh, that was. But it was that had to be pretty cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, we would um, kind of became a tra- tradition that Friday night there'd be a roll call. Everybody had to be there. You didn't have didn't have to drink if that wasn't your thing, but uh, you know we. would Tell stories on each other, you know, basically the buffoonery that happened during the week. Um, 10% truth rule applied. Uh, oh, there's and, a guy who's
1: got a podcast called 10% Truth. I never...
2: <laughs> uh, I've never heard of it. I have to look that up. Yeah. Um, what and is then, that? you know... I mean, would, is, that, is that like, it's got to be 10% true? I... At least 10%, yeah. Otherwise, you'd be scoffed. Okay. So, I mean, the bottom line is you could embellish things a little bit to uh, make it more... Um, uh more palatable in you know to 20 guys that are drinking beers and you know uh so but yeah that's that didn't happen in the navy so much
1: (laughs) okay so you showed up at 211 and uh when did you get there Norton, this is. Uh, I, sh- I should have looked. I should have looked in my files and stuff before we did this. But
2: it was. I think I. I think CQ was in April of uh, ninety seven. So it would have been literally three days after that. Oh, you got there so in late, April ninety
1: seven. Okay, so I'd been there about ten months. Okay.
2: You were. I saw you were in the rag briefly while I was there getting your recheck. You and you had to do some safety investigation, something like that.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good one. Crunch. That was the uh, that was the F fourteen that uh, had a spoiler issue in, in the landing film. pattern
0: at Oceana. Yeah,
1: and yeah, it I crashed, was quickly it crashed in a stand of pine trees. I, I well, um, I remember that because I was a Cat One I- at the time. Yeah, I was on the mishap board, which was, I mean, that would be a bonus episode. Yeah, um, well, that was um,
0: okay. That was ninety six. That was like summer of 96. That was ninety six when I was going yeah. through the rag.
1: Right. So yeah. I I I leave. Um, the rag. I go to 211. Norton shows up, and and by the time he gets there, we are like three quarters away through workups, two thirds, whatever, and it had been a brutal workups. So if you got there around April ninety, yeah, there were
2: two one month w- one month at sea workups that we yeah. had before we went on cruise. So
1: the planes were already running rough. They had already been worked hard, and and then uh, we had the uh, the bulkhead inspection.
2: Yeah. Fatigue life expectancy. Somebody redid the math. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah.
1: So he, so he, so the bottom line is crunch that Norton saw the F-14, you know, the fleet really scrambling to meet requirements and, and commitments and stuff. Of course, we had an incredibly uh, dedicated squadron maintenance department. So they did whatever it took to to do the best they could, which was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, I need to quit politicizing and get back to the F-15, <laughs> F-14 thing. But, okay, so how did an F-15 squadron uh, get ready for deployment and go on deployment? Uh, so compare that F-14, go on a deployment, come back, do 18 months of workups maybe, and then go on another six-month, seven-month deployment.
2: Yeah, so the the big difference is, is that uh, for most of the – time, there wasn't a quite a set of a schedule for deploying, uh, for Air Force squadrons. It was for the most part, kind of a, a pickup game. I mean, when Southern watch dragged on for a long time and, and other, uh, things where we're doing kind of policing sorts of things, it became sort of routine. And so they kind of eventually went to a schedule, but, uh, there, there wasn't, um, but it was not as ritualized or as, as ingrained as it is in the Navy.
1: So they didn't have really a, a like a, a long term schedule because the Navy carrier schedule was I mean it changed, but at least they had us written in pencil for years out.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I mean when I when I got in, in when I joined the Air Force, uh there there was no uh war in Iraq, Southern Watch. No Afghanistan, none of that. We would train, you know, to go fight the Sovs over in, you know, in Europe. Um, and so you would really what it was is was, um, you had a mix of new guys coming in. They had to put through their mission qualification training to guys that you get through two ship flight lead upgrade and four ship and uh, on rare occasions IP upgrades and then you'd you know be punctuated by exercises like red flag or maple flag or things like that yeah, um, yeah it was definitely living the dream um, but it, it changed when southern watch started and we started to have to send guys over there um, we didn't um, we didn't have anywhere near the um, comprehensive workup or training preparation schedule uh, I mean it was largely business as usual we would you know kind of late in the game we'd focus on specifics of, you know, like intercept rules of engagement and, you know, things that were unique to the, the theater or maybe the base that we were going to. Um, but then we would, uh, you know, another difference is, you know, in the Navy, you're on your carrier and you go and you do your thing. Um, in the Air Force, unless you happen to be the first squadron opening up a deployment location, you'd be falling in on a prior squadron and you'd send a, a, an ADVON, advanced team of of people that would go there and they'd, um, figure out how the, the act and they'd fly with them a couple times usually. And then the, the old squadron would bug out and the new guys would, from your squadron would come in and you'd be the, uh, the, the, the trainers and take them for their first mission, you know, and, uh, into harm's way. And so, you know, it was more of a, a, sequential kind of overlap thing instead
0: of, you know, we're here.
2: How do you like us? <laughs>
0: It, that is about how it is. Like you come skidding yeah. to a hockey stop in the Gulf. All right. right, let's fly. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah, here. Some other get out of our way. Navy's here. <laughs>
2: some, some other differences too. I, I was a project officer for one of our deployments to Dharan for Southern watch. And, uh, uh, I mean, there were things like planning the, the comfort pallet, which, you know, if you wanted to take your bike or your tennis racket or sports equipment. Or That's not like what that, I would think maybe.
1: of uh, in terms of comfort pallet, but okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had to get our stuff over there. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, not so yeah, that didn't happen very often in the Navy, I don't think.
0: Well, in the Navy, it was basically... What it's whatever you can fit into your cruise box and basically carry up the brow and fit into your stateroom or your bunk or whatever yeah. it is. So yeah, if you wanted to bring golf clubs, as long as you could find a plot spot to shove them, you brought them, right? Yeah. State stateroom
2: is one of those terms that I love. You know, I heard stateroom and I go, "Wow, these <laughs> are going to be pretty palatial digs." <laughs> no, oh no. Well, oh, they they left off the
1: quotes. Okay, you'll be assigned to a <laughs> stateroom. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I've been on cruises before. This must be just like going off on the yeah. Disney Princess. Yeah. This will be my problem. <laughs> I've got a stateroom. I'm on the second deck. That's premium. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it has
1: a balcony. <laughs> That's
0: right. That's right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so we're on deployment in two eleven. You flew um, counter air. We did Southern Watch you flew counter air you flew strike fam which is uh uh st- you know precision strike practice mm-hmm.
2: maybe you flew tarps yeah that was one thing from my background i i led tarps missions okay yeah so
1: and those were our main missions basically that we flew right you know we patrolled in the uh and patrolled influence i mean excuse me enforced the no fly zone i need another beer what Missions did you fly in the F-15C?
2: They were all, uh, you know, for the Southern Watch in particular, it was all just, you know, counter air. We were up there making sure that they didn't um, get below the, the the parallel. And it was could get kind of boring. Your
1: whole Eagle career, did you guys, did you practice any strafing, you know, supporting troops in contact or anything like that? Or it was just Nothing. all...
2: Wow. Interesting. Yep. And the fun, you know, the, you bring up strafing. I, I enjoyed doing that in the Tomcat. And the uh, one of the things um, they said, oh, you can't, we don't do strafing the Eagle because the gun's canted up at two and a half degrees. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the gun in the Tomcat was canted up at three and a half degrees, but we're just fine. That's
0: right. That's right. I
2: guess guys just didn't want to get too close to the ground at high speed
0: or something. I don't know. Not a pound for air to ground, man. That's yeah. it right there. Yep.
1: <laughs> the Eagle guys are probably, well, we can't carry bombs because they look ugly. So,
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Sorry, Eagle guys. Yeah. No,
0: you're not. You're not sorry. You're right. <laughs> uh, we were just talking. So, you know, the mission set for the F-15, It's 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 basic air to air. You got, well, it's all. Probably not basic. It's advanced air to air, but that's what you do, right? <laughs> Offensive counter air, defensive counter air, fighter sweep, point defense, things like that. You're, this is That's your bread and butter, and that's all you did. You come to the Tomcat, and we give you the full menu of everything. You've got all those missions, plus the bombing missions, plus the tarps missions, plus the overhead of learning to fly around the boat, practicing at the boat, landing at the boat. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, and did you feel, I mean, you had to have felt when you were an Eagle guy, when you were flying from the Eagle, I mean, you had to have felt way up on step in the air to air world when that's all you did every day. And then you come to the Tomcat, did you feel, did you feel like you were up on step on the air to air world or did you feel like, well, I kind of meander through it because I have to do everything else too?
2: Uh, I think in that, in that respect, I was able to fall back on my time in the F-15, you know, for the most part, the air to air stuff was, was largely overlapping, you know, different weapons. We had the Amram and the Eagle and we had the Phoenix and the Tomcat, but the mechanics of it were similar. So, you know, I didn't have to worry too much about that. Um, you know, switching to dropping bombs, um, was, uh, was different. Um, but you know, there again, they made it so easy. I mean, when I thought it was a huge success story that they figured out how to just buy these tarp, these, I'm sorry, lantern. these lantern pods, yeah. bolt them onto the wing for a million bucks or whatever they were charging for them. And now you could drop GBU 24s. Uh, and it really, I mean, really there's not a ton of skill involved with that. You just kind of drive the taxi um, and uh, point the laser where it needs to go and make sure you're
0: kind of, kind of in the right area and, but away it goes. Well well the funny thing about that is, I mean, you know where the lantern targeting system came from is from the strike eagle, right? Right. Yeah, you know, so it's kind of funny. It actually came from your what do you call it? Yeah. A sister community? I'm not sure what you call it. Yeah, yeah, sure. that's
2: fair enough. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, yep. right.
1: He's saying it's fair enough, but probably back in, in um F fifteen C country, they go. No,
2: those guys aren't related. To us. We don't even know
0: them. They're like the cousin that we we don't acknowledge.
2: I don't know. It started off okay when I did uh, when we had our solo party at the the uh, training squadron. We did it jointly with a strike eagle squadron. So oh, it was good. some brotherly brotherly love back then. All did right, you tell them they didn't cute. really
0: solo? i know you did that i know you did that (laughs)
1: crunch you (laughs) i
0: i've i've known a lot of f-15c guys i know how they Oh, you're quick man that's
1: good okay so norton you uh you mentioned the p word phoenix what did you think about the phoenix i used to work with some f some former air force f-15 guys and they had did not have a good impression of the Phoenix because they heard all the bad stuff about the aim 54 a. So I showed them a bunch of aim 54 C stuff. I don't know if I, I didn't change their mind, but I raised the, uh, the missiles reputation a little bit.
2: I I thought it was, uh, you know, I I didn't know all the specifics of it or, you know, I I didn't get to see it perform against a hard maneuvering target or anything like that. Um, But it, it obviously had a, a really long range, longer than, longer than we were operating or shooting the, the, uh, AMRAMs at, at the time. Yeah. Um, one of the thing, kind of the whole weapon system thing, one of the things I thought, you know, in the F-15, F-16 community, um, one of our, uh, defensive tactics was to notch, to break radar lock. Um, and with a, a fairly narrow beam width, um, and tracking, um, it didn't, you didn't have to, st- if, if you were successful and got to the beam, it didn't, you didn't have to stay there terribly long to break the lock and then you could pitch back in and do whatever. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the going in mindset for, uh, Viper and Eagle pilots was okay. I'll just kind of do the same t- tactic, but out at like 60 miles, I'll notch, <laughs> hold it for like 10 seconds and then pitch back in. And the Og nine would be like. I didn't even notice that. I still got I'm still carrying through his track on you and you know, telling the Phoenix where to go just fine. So
0: <laughs> This is true. The Og Nine would was, was like, Ah, it looks like I missed a frame. Ah, I got you. You're yeah. right there. That's it's still the same guy.
2: I remember on cruise the guys were uh were deathly afraid that I would get the first kill with a Phoenix as an Air Force guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you might have gotten thrown overboard for that. I'm not really <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs> I did get to shoot one, um, and it was pretty impressive because there was something wrong with the rail, I guess, and so uh, it wasn't getting the information from the radar. So I basically had to fly into 11 miles and shoot the thing off. And the way the Navy does it, they we get to shoot live missiles, and so it was a pretty big boom uh, on the on the target. That was pretty cool.
1: Very cool. For the most
2: part, the Air Force shoots uh, missiles with telemetry packs so they can, you know, learn about it and don't shoot the old ones. But, yeah, that was that was kind of a highlight. How about aircraft
1: emergencies? Did you have any uh, – did you have a lot of emergencies in the Tomcat or – not a lot. I mean, I hope not. God. No. But, but how was the F-15, you know, did you guys – a similar level of emergencies, reliability and stuff like that or –
2: what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say generally it was it was pretty reliable. Um, certainly, you know, uh, safety of flight stuff was was really generally not much of an issue. One thing I do remember was the uh, the central computer for the F-14 seemed to die a lot, especially on cruise. And, you know, you'd start up and figure out that was bad. And there's uh, somebody up on the back of the jet, you know, opening the panel to swap that thing out. Um, the, uh, the, the, the most memorable EP I had in the Tomcat though was, uh, on a Southern watch mission. Um, I was flying with uh, divot, uh, Stafford and, and, oh. um, Stauffer, Yeah. And, uh, we were, we were doing the, um, U2 protection so that I remember so that do, well do that effectively. You had to be at a lot higher altitude than, than the, than the F-14A was comfortable at. And so we're, we're doing uh, our racetracks at about 30,000 feet. And uh, I knew you didn't want to do any, any unnecessary movements with the throttle, but I was, uh, I was on the inside of a turn, turning south, and Yank was the flight lead. I remember that for some reason, but I was starting to cl- close in on him a little bit. And, and I go, you know, I didn't want to pull harder because that was going to put me out in front of him. So I go, I'll just, you know, I'll just like so gently ease, you know, I'll ease the left throttle back a little bit and then the right throttle back a little bit and um, do that and then about five seconds later, you know, you know, get the flashing light and the tone on my headset that we got a stag on the left engine. So kind of fortunately the turn was about done, so kind of roll out at that point and uh, point the nose down just a little bit. And right as we're kind of getting established the, the start getting the do for the right side, so we've got both engines stagged uh on on the jet heading heading down now putting the nose down a little bit more to keep the airspeed up and air flowing through as best we can and um divots you know divot was uh you know kind of pretty calm when the first one was you know hey you know roll out and, you know nose down a little bit. And then when the second one, he got to be like instant all business, you know, was like, oh, all right, we're in this, you know, and I'm starting to think there's a Euphrates over there. If we have to jump out, maybe I could go underwater and breathe through a straw and float down to rescue or something. But, uh, <laughs> brain, you know, the, what your brain thinks. Yeah. Moral of the story is put the nose down, pull the engines back to idle, didn't have to shut either one of them off, thank God. Uh, and and eventually got them got them both restarted. You, you didn't
0: have to recycle one of them. You didn't like just like off and back on or anything like that.
2: No, no. let it idle. The temperature didn't get too high, just and it eventually just kind of worked its way worked itself out. Ah, oh, that's good. Ran fine. Yeah, that's great. But that was a definitely a high pucker factor on that one. So, Eagles had flight
1: ifes also, right? I mean, yep. Various problems sim any airplane does hydraulic leaks or whatever.
2: Yep. Yeah, probably the most uh, theatrical one of those that I had was um, in the Eagle. In the Eagle, yeah. Sorry, uh, was when I was at Eglin, and we had the the F-15 demonstration team was was for the East Coast was was at Eglin at the time, and the the demo airplane would have the everything off of it, no tanks, even the rails. The weapon rails would come off the wings, and so it was clean, clean, clean. And uh, one day to to make the sorties, they needed me to fly the the demo jet. The good news is is there's no drag, so your your range is pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, I had a uh, utility hydraulic failure, which <laughs> means no flaps and no brakes, no 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 flaps, no brakes, no speed brake. Um, so you're so I'm already really clean, and I got no way to to increased drag on the thing other than putting the wheels down. <clears throat> so we're out over the Gulf, um, South of New Orleans, come back and, um, Pensacola is the closest base. So we're going to go in there. Um, for whatever reason, their traffic controllers kept me up high until beyond <laughs> the last minute. And so, you know, we come screaming down and, uh, uh, I get, you know, on final and and I'm going, way fast and you know, like I said, no speed break, no flaps, and so I'm not slowing down at all. i uh, got my hook down and I can't get it back up. That's another <laughs> another problem with the hydraulics. Um and so I go, I am just going too fast to catch the cable, uh the, the approach end cable. I don't know if it's gonna rip it out or rip my hook off or whatever. So I, I intentionally stay above a little bit and then I try to plop down pretty hard in the middle of the runway. Um and see if I can burn off some knots. And, you know, the the helpful tower guys say, hey, uh, it appears you missed the approach on gear. (laughs) Thanks for nothing. And so I'm screaming down the runway a lot faster than I want to go and not slowing down at all. I mean, I probably burned off two knots with my plunking it down and I go, this is not good. And so I go back into use full afterburner to, to get back airborne because what I don't want to happen now is to engage get an in-flight engagement. Right. So I pop back up and uh circle around and get my feces in one sock and come back around and and be able able to engage the uh the, the cable on the second try. But um that was the only uh touch and go in the Eagle I ever did outside of the training squadron because we didn't <laughs> know how to do that. <laughs> That That's a pretty good
1: emergency. I mean, you had to make a lot of decisions. I mean, it wasn't supposed to go like that, but... The, no, the no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. You could have screwed that up easily, and you didn't. That's good.
2: <laughs> if I had to do it over again, I might do a 360 on, on final to get my airspeed under
0: control. Yeah,
1: and you can ask them that if you got an emergency yeah. and tell them, yeah. yeah.
0: Shit. Next time. Now you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um... <laughs> Great! I got to tell back?
2: one bio story. Yeah, so, tell, I, I was waiting yeah. if you were going to tell one or I was going to tell one. Go ahead. No, no, this is a, this is a good one. We no. were um, when we were on cruise in uh, we we're in the in the Gulf and uh, we did. It was a training day, so we got to go do go drop bombs on. I guess it was a Udari range over there, and uh, um, so we took I think a uh, Mark eighty three and and there, took it over there. Were and you we, and me flying had, together? Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I remember you being in the jet and, right. uh, we, uh, we fly in and there's a ground FAC, and he calls us in and, and, uh, there's like some Jeeps out in the desert that we were dropping on. Shit. And I managed to shack a Jeep with a GBU, uh, I'm sorry, a uh, Mark 83 gravity bomb. And, uh, it might have been the wrong Jeep, but I'm going to take credit for hitting the window. <laughs> up. And, uh, you know, the ground fact is going, holy shit, that was awesome. You know, like, I was not known for being the best bomber in the squadron by any stretch of the imagination. But that was like, woo! you know, show off in front of the skipper in the ba- in your back seat. you know, all all good. And I'm sitting there going.
0: God, I wonder what's going on back at the ship. You know, yeah. <laughs> Norton <laughs> is it something? <laughs> Bio's probably in the back seat with a stack of fit reps. He's like, I got to do these in the Marshall stack. <laughs> yeah. I thought
1: Norton, I thought you were going to tell the one where we were on workups. This was late in workups. We were off San Diego, and uh, you know Scott's going to leave this in, so I'm going to tell it. I I don't remember the details, but you and I were flying. We the ship was uh, southwest of San Diego and uh, flying, I mean, it was off the coast of Mexico. So we go flying up north. And I was talking to you, for some reason, it was, I chose this time to talk to you about flying the F-15 or something, and you were just giving me some quick. And then after a couple of minutes, you go, are we supposed to be way up here? (laughs) And I look out and I go, you know, there's LA or something. And I go, oh, shit, I wouldn't even pay attention. (laughs) I don't even remember what our mission was, but I go, no. So it's a good thing you were looking out the window because you're sitting there going you know, I was only the EXO then. So
2: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Certain certain plausible But You were
1: waiting for me to, you know, tell you uh
2: turn around or let's go here or something. Yeah. I go, nah, we're just having fun flying. That might have been the same workup where I landed without a tank.
0: What? Okay, well how that happen? <laughs> Did
2: anybody notice? Yep. Of course, that's when CAG is watching the Danger Channel and sees it. Um,
0: <laughs> the Danger Channel. I've never heard it called that. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, uh, so we go to Twenty Nine Palms and we're dropping bombs. And for whatever reason that day, we couldn't we couldn't drop. And so, the conventional practice, although not not procedure, was to uh, so I guess technique, not procedure, was to jettison your bombs before you come back aboard the ship. Um, Even though we, you know, we had, you know, we are probably going to be at a suitable weight. It was just kind of, you know, wouldn't get rid of them.
1: Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to bring it back and have it risk coming off when it's jarred on touchdown or something. Oh, okay. If you try to, anyway, go ahead.
2: Yeah. So, so uh, we come back out over the water, you know, do the whole thing, circle, make sure there's no yachts down there with um, people on them or anything. And uh, we, we do it. Uh, we, I think we had two, so we did it one at a time. And um, before the second one, I'm I'm looking down and it and I see a tiny speck, and I go, "No, that's not a boat." And so we jettison the second second bomb, and we we come back to the ship and uh, we you know get it get in the stack, and uh, we're the first ones back that day. And somebody comes and joins on us and goes, "Hey, <laughs> you know you're missing a tank," I'm
0: like, "Uh, no." Did, so you're missing a tank. Did you have a bomb still? No, no. Oh. We, <laughs>
2: so, yeah. So what had happened was apparently like somebody had stood on the panel and bent the switch that um, you would do to to jettison a tank. And so it looked like it wasn't selected, but in fact it was. Oh, I remember and that. So yeah. when I hit the button to jettison stuff, the tank and the bomb come, came off. Oh, Wow.
0: So I feel like I heard that story. (laughs) I I think I've heard it because you say, and I'm like, you know what? That sounds familiar.
2: So, yeah. So the jet's flying fine. So we just come back and land. And and like I said, CAG was watching. And so I got to go have an audience with him for not reporting that uh, before, you know, to paddles or whatever. When we were coming back in, I'm like, oh, jet flew fine. You wouldn't know. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think?
1: about uh how the navy deployed let's get back let's get back to uh, deployment and combat potential combat it we had green ink in uh in 211 but it was all southern watch stuff mm-hmm. but you know we had our whole strike package we had the whole package right there on the carrier was that uh better than the air force way or worse did it compare to the expeditionary wing
2: the air force uh- I liked it because you had everybody there for the, you know, face to face for the briefing and, and then the debriefing, uh, and, and it, you know, you, you got to know the people in the other, uh, other squadrons, uh, which was, was pretty cool. Um, the, uh, the air force, we would do some sort of like telecon things, you know, I'm going back to Southern watch sorts of sorts of missions where, um, you know you they would send each the squadrons that were at different bases would send a rep, and then they'd phone back what the plan was um and you know if it was pretty vanilla enough, it wasn't that big of a a limb fact um but if there was anything unusual, it was much better to you know have eyeball to eyeball contact with with somebody um and just to you know to, to know them to have flown with them um uh, briefed with them, just, you know, been, been, you know, in that confined space of, yeah. of a thousand feet by a 200 feet or whatever a boat is, uh, for several months at a time was, was really, I thought pretty cool. Um, it was, I did Northern watch kind of my last sort of, uh, deployed kind of thing. And that was similar because everybody was, was at the same base at an Incirlik. And so you, you kind of got to do the eyeball-to-eyeball thing. And it really kind of felt like being uh, in a Navy squadron. That's good. Um, of course, we had a bar to go to when we came back after the plan, but uh, <laughs>
1: Always the bar.
0: <laughs> we didn't have that. We, we had mid-rats. We got to go have a hamburger with a fried egg on it. We're like, yeah! <laughs> 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 Nothing like 1,500 calories at 1 a.m. That's yep. it.
1: <laughs> Yeah, but when you're 28 years old, 30, whatever, 32,
2: oh, was, yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's doable. Yeah, that's right.
2: One of the one of the combat things that I always thought was crazy though was um, taking off, and as you both know, um, your the launch order off the front of the ship is whatever whenever you get ready and whenever the uh, whenever the yellow shirts marshal you into position. So there's it's random largely, and so you come off. And then most missions, you would go hit the tanker first. And especially at night, it was just, that was one of the scariest things about Navy flying was just this crazy whirling dervish of people circling around the tanker coming up on their own. Uh, There were times where I'd actually think about lifting up my NVGs because there were just so many lights out there and worried about, you know, somebody running into me, me running into somebody. It was just, but Somehow it, it always worked out, uh, you know, professional act getting there and people doing what they were supposed to, even though it was kind of like a, a random act getting there in the first place.
1: I agree with you. It's it's To me, it's similar to, I mean, that was at nighttime, but it's like the day VFR pattern, bringing back, you know, 12 or 16 aircraft, zip lip. Yeah. And nobody <laughs> says a word. People know where they're supposed to be. They see the other person. They drop down in order. They break the deck. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Yep. And it's routine. I mean, that's normal ops. It happens eight times, you know, or whatever, every hour and a half for two hours. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty yeah, Very amazing.
2: cool. A lot of people doing what they're supposed to be doing in a bunch of different jobs. Yep.
1: And, and as you kind of said earlier, you get a lot of supervision. I mean, if people... I remember... uh I think it was when we were in, in CAG nine at two eleven. there was discussion about uh, the pattern and you hear about it. People will talk to your face and say, I don't think you came out of holding right or something like that. And then, you know, but it's, you know, they're not being mean or jerks. It's professional.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and sometimes yeah. you mess it up and like some dude from down the hall will be Flaming mad. He's mad yeah. at you because you messed it up. I've had that. I've been on that side where he's like, Crunch, you there. <laughs> and you're like, All right, well, you know what? I probably did mess that up. You yeah. cut me off. Well, you let me. So,
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Position.
1: Yeah. Crunch, start asking some of the hard questions now that we're in there.
0: Oh, all right. Hard question. All right. Hold on a second. Let's see what we. So, we've just been doing a random run of thoughts. For the most yeah. part, here and and believe it or not, we're 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 done with the first page and then <laughs> the second page here. Um. All right, let's just read these. So the F-14 had more. Mi- yep. Well, okay. So that's one. So here's the question. Here's what I wrote down as a or we wrote down as a thought, which was uh like the F-14 had more missions. Uh. Do you do you think it affected the way that? Well, that's I don't know. It kind of affected the way that the two communities viewed you know, how you, how you bring the fight to the enemy. Right. I mean, I don't, do you think you fought, do you think that the F-15 community, the air force views air power and air warfare differently than the Navy?
2: Uh, I have a great story for that. Uh, I, when I was in the rag, um, they gave us kind of a, somebody came in and gave us a demo four ship brief. And it was like, I was you know sitting back in my F15 squadron having the weapons officer give a briefing i mean you know the the tactics the 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 terminology the the maneuvering that he described everything was you know it was like this is home I'm, i mean i know exactly what this talk he's talking about this is very familiar and to me that was a a validation of i know the the two weapon schools talk to each other a lot top gun and the F15 weapon school and there was obviously a lot of cross pollination there that, uh, so, so the, the good news is, is if you found yourself, uh, you probably wouldn't want to, you know, fight in a mixed division kind of scenario without having worked together. But if there were F-15s over to the East and, and Tomcats over to the West, Uh, you would at least have a relatively common language and and be able to understand what and what to expect. Yeah, that's a
0: great point because sometimes you would have that where you'd have, you know, you'd have an Eagles in this lane, Tomcats, Hornets in this lane and and you'd all have one controller possibly. You know, you might have an AWACS out there and they speak AWACS language, which we all know. And uh, so they just start calling out the groups and you're just manning your cap. Yeah, that's right. Uh,
1: That started in the eighties, there was a big push or there was a push for comm
0: standardization. The ALSA, the air land, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. So Airland.
1: Oh, I can't believe
0: I can't remember now. Hold on. I got to Google this because uh, there's uh, there actually a conference <laughs> like every couple of years. And like, we would send a, uh, we would send a rep and the weapon school would send a rep and also COM, brevity.
2: I wish they would have standardized uh, calm out signals, though.
0: That was that still different. <laughs> we did that differently than you guys. That's for sure. Yeah,
2: right? and there was no way to 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 call your wingman in visually, in the navy.
1: Oh, wasn't that porpoise just the like nose? nose. Yeah. yeah,
0: you just porpoise uh, the nose, and he's supposed maybe to. Maybe we over. just didn't do that in two eleven. Oh, what wow. would you do in the air force? How would you call a wingman over?
2: Lock your wings, and then that would be the signal for your your uh, wingman to rejoin.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. All right. So also is the air, land sea, Appli- air, air, land sea application center. Apparently, whatever. Okay, also, com- That's the com brevity Bible. Yeah. And that's where you say a ladder, a champagne, a Vic, a wall, yeah. all that stuff, groups and you, you yeah. na- label pictures and name groups. And yeah. And yeah. Um, North arm, south arm, near group, far group, all that stuff. Great stuff. Okay, Crunch, ask the big one. Question 16. (laughs) So I went, yeah, you're right. I was looking at that one and I'm like, we got to put that one. We got to wait. We got to wait. But you're right. This is the one that everybody's been waiting for. We're like an hour and a half into this and everybody's like, okay, when are you going to ask? What do you like better? The F-15 or the F-14?
2: Uh I'd I'd love to dodge the question and say you know there were some some things I loved about both of them. I mean I loved coming back to the ship in the daytime and the Tomcat and doing all that, um, and the opportunity to to drop bombs. Although a lot of my Eagle bros will scoff me for that for the rest of my life, um, but it was kind of cool to see stuff blow up. Um, <clears throat> but uh, for going going and and going to war air to air, I would prefer the Eagle, uh, just because it had. Um, better mechanization of you know you had better situa- situational awareness, and you know fact of the matter is it pales in comparison to what the f twenty two and f thirty five have these days uh, but it just had a little bit better um, ways of giving pilot the pilot essay it
0: was more de- it was designed around the idea of just an air to air picture probably, and yep. it was just de- and yeah. it's a single seat and so it 's designed for you the pilot to control everything. And the F-14 was designed with a, I mean, a couple different mission sets, and also designed that the Rio was going to control stuff. And they said that the pilot doesn't get to see pulse search, you know. So I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't get to see the search display. I didn't get to see, yeah. I didn't get to see the interrogator or anything else like that. So right. I don't That's get a good. Answer. Yeah. So I mean, the
2: thing I, the thing I love about having flown both is I, I got to fly both. So I mean, I flew low and fast in the RF-4, uh, flew high and fast in the Eagle, uh, flew with you know, swept back wings and popped them open in the break. And the Tomcat got to drop bombs, uh, got to land on the boat. And, you know, truth be told, one of the real reasons I, w- I did the exchange tour was I, I was I really, really wanted to get one cat and one trap. Um And I couldn't figure out how to do that. And so an exchange tour was one way to make that happen. And so how many traps did you end up with? 126. Nice. Nice. Oh, Centurion. 17 on the Stennis and 109 on the... So I got my Centurion patch from the Nimitz. <laughs> Did you That's wear that a, on your flight jacket for the rest of your career or... No, they don't do that in the Air Force. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. put it on the inside. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <I cry. laughs>
2: yeah, like my pledge pin.
0: Put it on the inside, right Right next to... Uh, yeah, right next to the all the illegal patches that you're not allowed to wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So, so that leads to the question. So You know, back World War I, Baron von Richthofen, you know, he had this saying. He said, the quality of the box matters little. Success depends upon the man who sits in it. So here we are. We're talking about two different airplanes, different capabilities, different focuses. What do you think about that? Does the quality of the box matter little? Is it really the man who sits in it or does the box make the pilot?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think as long as the technology is roughly bounded in the same era, that the, the the pilot is is really the the most important factor uh, and you can just you can just look at any squadron where there are some pilots that are better than others and a lot of that has to do with experience but there are some that just have more more ability because of the natural build, natural ability training they've done and whatnot um, uh, but you know at the end of the day technology also has a huge factor right I mean I would would not, an F-15 or an F-14 wouldn't stand a chance. Again, it's an F-22 or F-35 these days. So, you know, but again, as long as the uh technology is roughly bounded, the man is, is by far the most important element.
0: I think that's an incredibly well-said statement because a lot of times, you know, people go, oh, that, that airplane, you know, you're you're right. If it's in that same era, the same, you know, cat four fighter or cat five, whatever the case is, yeah. then it's, yeah. it's com- comparable. But, yeah. uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I like the way you said that. Thank you. Good stuff.
1: Anything that we haven't asked you about or that, uh, that you want to say, uh, before we cut you off, <laughs> before uh, we cut ourselves <laughs> off.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed my time in the Navy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got to do it. Um, one other. Uh, before I leave, I'll, I will have to reveal another word that uh, the Navy had that was um, seemingly innocuous, but was uh, but had a lot more meaning to it, and that's the uh, the, the term "admin." Um, again, sounds like oh, that's something that we'll go to and maybe cash a check, or you know, if I have trouble making a phone call home, not so much. This was for any of you out there who don't know. It was uh, it was a a party that was essentially 24-7 uh, while we were on uh, on, a sh- on shore leave. They would literally send a, a couple of junior lieutenants from each squadron on a cod several days out, and their, their duty was to secure a suite or a couple of adjoining hotel rooms and uh, stock it with as much booze as they could get their hands on. And then we would also supplement that with the booze lockers on the ship as you were getting ready to Head off for the first time. There'd be somebody there. You'd show up with a backpack. They'd stuff it with a bottle of booze, and you'd head right to the admin to to offload it. And these were epic debauchery. I remember guys in um, in Hong Kong in ninja suits in the uh, hot tub at six in the morning. Who'd been there all night, and you know, just thought that being in the hot tub in a ninja suit they bought the night before was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seemed my, right my at the first, time. <laughs> my, my, my first time Comptance seeing the admin after hearing the term admin was quite a quite a disconnect. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like the opposite of stateroom, right? It's much better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, much better and than. And if you. you ever
2: invite me back, I'll talk to tell you the story about getting in hack while we were on cruise. But they, oh, you got put in hack. Go ahead, we got time. <laughs> we can edit it back in um the uh while we were in uh in the in southern watch persian gulf we we had three port calls at jebel ali uh which if you don't know is a big industrial shipping thing and uh we went to the same town t- three times in a row and it was like uh, whatever um and uh but you know the nimitz had a good reputation the, the a couple of port calls before Another carrier guy had beaten up a cabbie, and so they were on restrictions. And so we gradually got more privileges of freedom as the port calls w- weighed on. Um, but we still had sort of a curfew. And um, by the third time, it was like, oh, whatever. So me and somebody else, a couple of the guys came back a couple hours after the curfew, show our ID at the, to get back on the ship. Things, all, everything's good. And uh then I have to go see Coconut, our ops officer, the next next morning. Well he's
1: our exo, which would be the yeah, he, he, Air Force he, Ops so, But
2: yeah, so he has to he's the heavy. He's gotta do the all that stuff. So he was cool about it. He goes, uh, yeah, you guys are in hack. He came back after the curfew and was like, Oh my god, we're not gonna get to go back into town again. Uh, all right. <laughs> on
0: the pier. Yeah. The pier. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. Plas- the white plastic deck chairs (laughs) yeah well yeah
2: and the and the first time we went there was really crazy because they had some little shack set up that uh sold full bottles of liquor that you couldn't bring back on the ship and so what's gonna happen (laughs) guys? yeah oh
0: my god that wasn't the
2: navy's fault that was just sort of a cultural clash that is so funny (laughs) Oh my god. Okay,
1: so so we've uh, we're descending. I mean, we were drifting away from, you know, discussing <laughs> pitch rates and uh, missions and stuff like that. But I mean, and That's obviously a good. certain part of our audience is going to love this part, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Norton, I do. You have done a uh, you've done a great job and I think that you will be welcome in the F15 community and the F14 community mm-hmm. because you have uh, Walked a fine line, and uh, and done it with humor and uh, and expertise. So, thanks for uh, coming on and talking to us today. Crunch, thanks crunch a in. lot, guys.
0: Absolutely, thanks, nice, Jordan. This welcome. has been a real pleasure.
2: Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. It's been uh, been the highlight of my week, month, twenty twenty two so far, <laughs> and it was without a mask. I love it.
0: <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> That's right. All right, Bio, so that was great seeing Norton again. You know, for those who don't know, I mean, when you were a CEO of VF-211, he was in your squadron. Uh, I actually came out and joined you guys for a couple of weeks at JTFX, so we all got to fly together in VF-211 back then. I think that was 1997, if I remember. Uh, but it was great to see him again, and it was so much fun. Uh, I was really impressed with how even – handed his valuation was. He was fair. Uh, I was I was perfectly prepared to have a little ego throwdown with the Eagle guy, but uh, we, we didn't have it. You know, Crunch,
1: as we were getting close, I was thinking about what if I was in Norton's place? He's an F-15 pilot, you know, and he's got a lot of pride in that and it's a proud community yeah. and the F-14 is also. So we put him in a tough spot. I thought he handled it very well. He had some really insightful comments, you know, Uh, and so I appreciate that. I think he did a great job, but when you asked him at the end, what was your favorite jet? Well,
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, you gotta ask the question that everybody's thinking. I'm sure some of our uh, listeners would be disappointed if we didn't at least ask the question, right? Yep.
1: So now, you know, Norton, uh, thanks for coming on and sitting in the hot seat for a while. We
0: enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. That was great. Hey, Crunch, you want to tell them what's coming up next? you know bio i would love to tell everybody what's coming up next because we got a real treat coming up on episode 16 we're going to talk all about kosovo with re-admiral del snapper bull so this is going to be a whole bunch of fun i tell you what this is going to be it's story time with snapper we're going to have a great episode coming up two weeks episode 16 see you then You've been listening to the F-14 TomCast, part of the air combat experience brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at f14tomcast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101, extension 3. That's 877-622-4101, extension 3. For updates on this podcast and our other military aviation-themed shows, Visit bvrpro.com and follow the air combat experience on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening.